All right, all right. Are you um, you ready for God's word? You ready to open the word of God together? Why don't you turn in whatever version of God's word you have, grab it, and go with me to Matthew chapter 9. So turn, click, however you get there, Matthew chapter 9. If you don't have a copy of God's word, no worries. We have big Bibles up here on the on the either side of the stage, and I love big Bibles because they cannot lie, and, and uh, so they're on either side of the stage, and uh, and they and we will put everything up there. It's going to be awesome. Um, but we started a series of messages last week called Who Needs Church? And we looked at some trends in our church and in our nation and even in our world and did some research. And we started seeing that attendance trends as church, like you might suspect, are actually going down. Thousands of churches are closing every, um, every year. And for us, this should be a concern. And for church leaders, this should be a concern. Uh, because how many know if no one's buying what you're selling... Um, you're not doing it right. You know what I'm saying? And, and when, we, when you're selling the hope of the universe, which is Jesus, if you will, then your sales pitch needs some adjustment because Jesus sells himself if you present him the right way. Are you with me? And, and so we're looking at this. And, and I started looking even at our church because we're a leader here. Uh, I'm obviously a leader here. But I found these attendance trends were somewhat, somewhat accurate even within our own church. The average church attender attends church about three times every 60 days, about three times every two months. And, and my thought is, if we really believe the church has value, can you really experience the value of it coming three times every two months? Um, you know, it's kind of like if you think the gym has value, <laughs> you have a gym membership, I don't think you're going to get, you know, ripped if you just go three times every two months. You know, if you, we talked about this last week, but just to tell you where we started and to see the attendance trends, 24% of people today who say they are of the faith do not actually attend. They're not actually a part of a church. And so we started last week, uh, the message was, she's a brick house. And uh, it was awesome. You might want to go back and listen to it. But we're just continuing in that today. Um, because here was my thing, I want to explore this. So I don't want this to be a message where as a pastor, you know, I, I don't mean this in a bad way, but I grew up and I love the values by which I was raised. But so many times I thought you go to church because you go to church. Like, why do you go to church? Because they said so. And if I don't go, I'm considered backslidden, which means I'm on the verge of burning in hell over my church attendance. You know, and, and, and what, I, what I'm concerned is there's a disconnect with a modern generation that says, is the church relevant? Is it valid? Is there, is there value in it? And when I don't see that there's value in it, when I have a bad experience as church, at church, and most people will have a bad experience at church at some time. When I have a bad experience, I may not fight through that because if there's no value on the other side of it, once I have a bad experience, I'm out. So if I don't see the value of this thing, if it doesn't make sense to me, then, then I'm not going to, I'm not, I'm not, yeah, I'm just not going to go. And so to me, I want to explore all that together because we want to be a place where questions are answered and doubts are allowed. And we want to be a place where we explore things, not dogmatically and not, not, um, not with condemnation, but, but we say, hey, who needs church? Do I really need church? Do you really need church? And so we're exploring that 
together. So today we're in Matthew's gospel, if you will, the gospel account according to Matthew. So, so after Jesus is resurrected, all the stories about Jesus are told um, and they're passed on orally through tradition. And about 30 to 40 years after the resurrection, that's when all of a sudden you see the writers begin to write them down because they were getting, um, you know, because of history, they didn't want it to be lost. They're getting older. And so Matthew uh, writes down and it's incredible the work that Matthew does because he has an introduction and a conclusion, and then he kind of has five sections, which are like five mini books, which all have like different themes and end with a certain teaching according to that theme by Jesus. And actually, Matthew is speaking to a Jewish audience, and they believed in the teachings of Moses. That's how they based their life was the teachings of Moses in the five books of, of the law and the five books of Moses, if you will. And he actually shows them Jesus as this new teacher having more authority than Moses. So that's why he gives five sections, almost like five books. And so because he's talking to Jewish people saying, this is the guy that Moses kind of points to, that the prophets point to. This, this is the guy right here. And, and so it's kind of a cool work that he puts together. And he shows Jesus, first he starts with, with Jesus being God, Emmanuel, you know, and he shows Jesus as the Messiah and then shows Jesus as the one you want to base your life on, his teachings and his word. And he says, that Jesus came in chapters four through seven, we see the introduction to the kingdom where Jesus comes with this message of the gospel of the kingdom. And, and I, I'll teach on this again. I teach on it all the time because this is the thing you need to get. Jesus didn't come saying, um, do better so you can go to heaven. He came saying, heaven came to you. Heaven has come. The kingdom of God is at hand, he said. It is near. And so all the power that you see in the New Testament church is because the kingdom of God was here by the Spirit of God. It's the same power we have today. The kingdom of God is here by the Spirit of God. The kingdom of God is in us by the Spirit of God. And the thing that Jesus asked us to pray and focus on was your kingdom come, your will be done. He's wanting to see the reign of God over the realm of earth. And so Matthew's gospel outlines that so clearly. But when we get to Matthew chapter eight through nine, that's when he was the gospel message of the kingdom. Now Jesus begins to demonstrate what that looks like and what it looks like for the kingdom of God to overwhelm earth is a paralyzed man walks and, and a woman with the issue of blood is miraculously healed and Jairus's daughter is raised from the dead and a blind man is able to see, right? This is the power of the kingdom, restored relationships and restored health and forgiveness and life and all those things. Sandwiched right there in the middle of that chapter nine with, with paralyzed people walking and blind people seeing, um, Jesus calls a follower to join him and that's where we're taking up this text. Matthew 9 verse nine, it says, as Jesus went from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth and he says, follow me. And Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner in Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and the disciples. And when the Pharisees, these were the religious church folk, religious people, they didn't believe in Jesus. They believed in the law, but not Jesus. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor. Do you see how passive aggressive religious people are? Like they said it loud enough for Jesus to hear, but they didn't say it to him. Hey, why's your teacher? Why's your teacher? It's like people make an Instagram post about you, but don't actually tell it to you. Mm. 
I don't know anything about that. So they say, why is, why is he eating with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but it's the sick. He said, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. It's obviously a quote from the Old Testament. For I have not come, it's actually Hosea, for I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Hmm. We're exploring who needs church. And today, my title is this, it's not for everybody. It's not for everybody. Probably never heard a pastor tell you that. I'm going to tell you today, it's not for everybody. Can we pray together? Father, thank you so much for your word. And we have come, God, into your presence to hear from you, to meet with you, to experience you. God, your Holy Spirit is with us. Your kingdom is here. God, this isn't a religious meeting. God, this is an opportunity for an encounter with you. God, we just pray you would speak your word. Not, not, not that I would speak my words, but that you would speak your word and that it would settle into our hearts and God transform our lives in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. It's, it's, not, it's not for everybody. It's not for everybody. Um, write this down, three things. Three things today. The first one is this, that Jesus didn't come for the faultless. He came for the flawed. I love this text because Jesus said, I didn't come for the well people. Like, I'm not into a well check. Like categorically, he gives us one category of people that he is interested in. One category of people that he is pursuing. And he says it this way, they're the sick. I, I like the way that he uses this picture, if you will. Because if you're a Pharisee, he's kind of inferring that you think you're a doctor and you're well and you can you can diagnose everybody else. Have you ever gone to church with, no, we're not going to talk about that. We're not going, we're just not going to go there with somebody that wanted to diagnose you and label you. Isn't it crazy how church people will label you? Oh, that's the woman with the issue of blood. Oh no, that's, that's the woman at, at the well. You remember the well in the new Testament after Rahab, the prophet, not the prophet, Rahab, the prostitute has, they know she's in the lineage of Jesus, yet they're still calling her a prostitute. Isn't it interesting how religious people will try to label you and diagnose you? Oh, that's, that's the divorce lady. She'd been divorced several times. Oh my God. Oh, that's the man that's on porn right there. He's a pervert, right? And, and, and it's interesting, like, oh, that's the preacher. He's insecure. You know, he's scared of everybody. He's scared of his own shit. They will try to label you and Jesus delineates between the two. Like there are people who think they're well and there are people who don't need a physician because they're on med medicalmd.com diagnosing everybody else with their own symptoms. He said, but I'm not looking for those people at all. I came to find the ones, I love sick because sick infers I wasn't trying to be sick. Nobody's walking around saying, I hope I get sick today. No, it just infers that because of the atmosphere, because of what's going on, because of the world in which I live, and because of the way even that I was born, I have come into this world broken and flawed and marred and messed up. And he said, that's the people that I'm looking for, is the people that, that they weren't Adam, right? They didn't eat the fruit salad, but they have come into this world weak and deficient in some way. And that's the one, that's who I want to talk to today. I want to talk to imperfect people today. Are there any in? perfect people today. I 
want to talk to the people who have blown it or who are currently blowing it right now. And if you didn't blow it, you smoked it. And if you didn't smoke it, you toked it. And if you didn't toke it, you drank it. If you didn't drink it, you clubbed with it. If you didn't club with it, you backed it up, right? I want to talk to the people. You know, I like it like that. I want to talk to those people today. Because that is the only people that Jesus was trying to reach. He came not for the faultless, but he came for the flawed. Now, we know Jesus is delivering this as tongue-in-cheek. We know that Jesus knows the Pharisees are just as screwed up as everybody else. It's just they won't admit it. They have become good at doing church. They, they know all the rules, and they can look churchy on the outside. So it's a little tongue-in-cheek that Jesus is explaining this, but Jesus makes it very, he draws a very clear target. He's like, let me tell you who I'm looking for. I wonder what would happen if the church could get as focused as Jesus on who we're looking for. Because he said, let me tell you who I'm looking for. I'm looking for the sick I'm looking for the, in fact, in, in Luke chapter 14, he is talking to the religious people and he's saying, hey, when you throw you a party, don't invite the people that can invite you to their party. Because he knew culturally that this was a prestigious thing. And, and, and so the church people would invite the church people to the party. The religious would invite the religious. They'd invite the affluent. They would invite people that could do them a favor back. And he said, no, 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 no. That's not kingdom. If you're going to throw a party, go out and find the lame <laughs> And the blind and the broken. In fact, he drives it home in Luke 14 because he starts telling a story that's a picture of the kingdom. And his, this father whose son is getting married, so he's throwing a party for his son and, and, and his bride. And he goes out and invites people that seem to have it all together. And they're too busy to show up. And then he says this in verse 21. The servant returned and told his master what they had said. And his master was furious and said, go quickly into the streets and the alleys of the town and invite the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. That this is who Jesus was after. So if Jesus was after me, what category was I in? Because sometimes we get so good at church culture, we forget we used to be a sick person. And Jesus said, no, 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 I came for those with heavy burdens they couldn't bear, with yokes that were dragging them to the ground. I came, all you who are weary and heavy laden, Jesus said, that have burdens you can't bear, come to me and I will give you rest and I will give you a burden that is light. That is, Jesus said, I'm just looking for the people that can't make it on their own, that don't have it all together, that don't have everything figured out. I'm looking for the messed up people. That's who I'm focused on. So if Jesus is focused on the flawed, then the church has to be focused on the flawed, which would mean the church would only be filled with... Huh. Isn't that crazy? That Jesus actually started this movement called the church? Huh. For flawed people. Because if, if he'd wanted the church to be a religious culture, he'd have left it the way it was. 
He'd let the Pharisees run it. But Jesus said, no, no, I want, I want to build this church. Remember, he said, upon this rock, I will build my church. And that rock was Peter, in a way. The rock was the understanding that he was the Christ. But he is talking to Peter. Peter, I'm going to change your name to the rock. I would submit to you that Peter was a little bit messed up. He had a cussing problem. Potty mouth. Right? He denied Christ. Even Judas didn't deny Christ. He just sold him out. But Peter denied him. Not because political powers or religious powers were interrogating him. No, he was cooking s'mores by a fire with a little teenage girl. And she said, hey, aren't you one of those? No. Are you sure? Bleep! All of a sudden. Right? He said a wordy dirt. I'm just saying he was... See, my concern is, my concern is that as a church, and this is always the danger, as we come to Jesus... And as Jesus starts cleaning us up, sometimes we forget how dirty we were. And, and, and because we learn church culture and we know the words to say, and we know the lyrics to the song, then if we're not careful, if we're not careful, we'll so much buy into and become a religious culture and then fight to protect the religious culture by keeping non-religious people out of it. We'll start labeling people. Mm, that's the divorce woman. That's crazy how the how that works. Because we got to preserve this holy place. We got to preserve this holy movement. And pretty soon, look at this, we'll start believing it ourselves and we'll start believing we're not sick anymore. We'll start believing we don't actually have struggles anymore. We'll start drinking our own Kool-Aid and believing, no, I got it all together. I don't need anything, man. I've learned how to be churchy. I know how to say the phrases. I'm blessed and highly flavored, thank you. What are you, a snow cone anyways? But, um, but you see what I'm saying? And, and all of a sudden, we become a, a subculture of people who appear to have it all together because we've learned some of the rules and we've learned some of the culture. And then when something threatens our culture and causes us to come face to face with our own brokenness, we push it back out again because we're trying to keep this place holy. And you've got a tattoo that is not a cross. It got a skull and some, he probably hails angels. Probably rode a motorcycle church. Probably has leather underwear. This is why I should be more scripted. And all of a sudden, look at this. All of a sudden, we're creating a culture that is resistible. All of a sudden, people are trying to get to God and the church has gotten in the way. People want to come to God, but they don't know what to do with the church because church people are weird. We are because we, listen, somebody come up and say, hey, how are you doing today? Oh, I'm blessed and highly flavored, too blessed to be stressed. I am blessed by the bed. Okay, I don't know. I don't like you. I was just trying to be nice. I didn't need a sermon. Are we lost? No, Jesus is my co-pilot. I don't see him over there. What do you? 
Hey, is it going to rain today? Oh, I got the forecast and the sun is shining and the king is raining. (laughs) What are you talking about? I'm just asking, did Mark say it would? I don't need theology. So I know, do I need an umbrella? And we start quoting scripture. Oh, there's layoffs. Oh, well, I'm okay because I'm blessed in the field. I'm blessed in the city. I'm blessed when I go out. I'm blessed when I come. Even my bread basket's blessed. Okay. What, are you at a buffet? I don't understand. Mm, got my WWJD bracelet right there. What would Jesus do? And people want to come to God. I, you know, here's the bad thing is we're exploring who needs church. I don't think people have a problem with God. I think he's been misrepresented. Because if you meet him, you won't have a problem with him. Can I remind you where Jesus is hanging out in this text? He's hanging out at a tax collector's house with sinners, and they liked him. Can I tell you something that I think would be an awesome goal? What if people who had not yet come to faith in Jesus liked to hang out with us? It'd make us like Jesus. You know who didn't like to hang out with Jesus? And you know who Jesus didn't like to hang out with? Church folks. That's exactly right. Because they were so busy protecting their church culture, the Messiah couldn't work his way in. Oh. Hmm. In Acts, the book of Acts, the Acts of the, the Acts of the Apostles, we get to Acts chapter 15. Something crazy has happened. God has broken out in the Gentiles, and Gentile people are being saved. These are people who did not understand the Torah, the law, Judaism, the practice thereof. So Jewish people had been saved, but, but they were still kind of mixing a little bit of their Jewish practices, their dietary restrictions, and all of this because that's their culture but yet they had faith in Jesus. But now this group of people who are screwed up and don't know the law or the Torah, over 600 different rules that you were supposed to keep in Judaism, and they don't know six of them. They don't even know the top 10. And now they're getting saved. And the church is stressed. How are we going to, are they circumcised? Dear God, what if they're not? Now, if you're sitting here like, I don't know what that is, ask over lunch. It's an awesome conversation. (laughs) And then they're like, they don't know our dietary restrictions. They're eating the wrong kind of food. What are we going to do? So they send some, 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 some leaders down there to investigate, and they come back. Sure enough, they're saved, but it's messy. And they start saying, well, how do we teach these new people how to live by the rules to protect our religious culture and the integrity of our religious system? How do we get them the right dress code and teach them they cover up those kind of tattoos and they can't wear that blouse or that skirt 
That looks like, is there a women's Bible study we can send them to? Because they had too much makeup and their hair's a little bit too teased. Those heels are too much. And we need to put them in a good environment that can help them tone down into some religiosity that is acceptable by us and doesn't threaten us anymore. They're stressed out. Oh my God, you see their Instagram? They had a glass of wine with their spaghetti. Burn in hell, I'm telling you. <laughs> Somebody's got to go explain this to them. And I love it because after pray, prayer, thank God for the Holy Spirit. And then finally James steps up and here's what he says. He said, here's my judgment. We should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. We shouldn't make it difficult for people who want to follow Jesus. We shouldn't make it hard on them. I, I would submit to you that most of the things that people oppose about the church are things the church should have been opposing all along. Let's, re let's, let's review. The church was started by a man who said, I know God. I want to reveal him to you. And I'm going to make a path to him for you. I, want, I know him, I want to reveal him to you and make a path to him for you. And the mantra that I want us to live under is love. And the way that it is expressed is love God, love your neighbor, and love those who hate you. Now, what could you oppose about that? Like, if you're not a believer in Jesus and you run into people and they're like, hey, there was this man had these really great teachings all centered around what love looked like and how to express it and live in it. And he said, we're supposed to love God and love our neighbor as ourselves, and love those who use you, love your enemies, love those who hate you. And if we live that out, you might find people in your company saying, you know, I don't know if I want to be a follower of Jesus, but I sure like working for one. Because he cares about me and he asks about me. And I don't know if his prayers mean anything, but he's praying for my wife who's having surgery. I, I don't know if I want to be a Christian, but it sure is. I don't know if I want to be a Christian, but I think I want my daughter to date one because they're honoring and they're respectful and, and he puts her above him. Like that wouldn't be something you, the only thing that you should be able to oppose about people who are followers of Jesus is the fact that we believe Jesus is God. That's really the only thing that's, that's resistible about our faith, supposedly. Everything else that, that people oppose, the hypocrisy, the dress codes, the judgment, the criticisms, all of that was not something that was ever supposed to be a part of this thing. That was institutionalized by man to protect their religious culture because coming face to face with sin threatened the way they had lied to themselves and they might actually have to deal with their own sin. The only thing people should be able to oppose about our faith in Jesus is the fact that we believe Jesus was God. If they're finding opposition in anything else, if they're resistant to anything else, it's probably because we messed it up. And so God didn't come. Jesus didn't come for the faultless. He came for the flawed. He came for the flawed which at one time was really good news for all church people. 
because we back then remembered we were flawed. Here's the second thing. Write this down. God's perfect plan depends on imperfect people. He goes on to say, as Jesus went out from there, verse 9 of Matthew 9, he saw a man named Matthew, some say Levi, it's the same thing, although he did not invent denim. <laughs> a man named Matthew sitting on the tax collector's booth, and he said, follow me. And Matthew got up and followed him. This was scandalous. Tax collectors were hated. They, they were Jewish people because Jew, the Jewish Jerusalem, Jews, Israel was under the government of Rome. Tax collectors were people that had sold them out. In other words, tax collectors were Jewish people who started working for the Roman government to impose taxes on the Jewish people. They were like mafia IRS agents. And then the way that they made their living was, Rome said, if you collect what we want, you can add to it as much as you want to keep as long as you're getting our cut. So the tax may have been $1,000, but, but Levi could have said, hey, I'm going to tax you $1,600 because baby needs a new pair of shoes. And you would have had to pay it. So these were not religious people. They had sold their soul to the devil as far as Jews were concerned. Are you with me? And then Jesus says, Matthew... I think we ought to hang out. Why don't you follow me? This is like inviting Benedict Arnold to your 4th of July celebration. <laughs> are you with me? It is a scandal. And these people are like, what is this guy who claims to, to know God and know the way to God? And, and he is, does he not know? Why is he? And that's why they're saying, why is he hanging out with the tax collector? But you know what I love about Jesus that Jesus starts his relationship with someone who everyone presumed the worst of and had given up all hope on. Is there anybody in this room that people gave up hope on you and they said, no, he'll never come to Jesus. No, he'll never get his stuff right. No, she's never going to get out of this trap. She's stuck. And, and, yet, and yet God didn't give up hope on you. And you know what else I love? Jesus, Jesus looks at Matthew and, and he doesn't do it church style because church style would have been Matthew. Let me, let me talk to you a minute. I really want you to come to my church. Uh, do you have some different clothes? Because you totally can't wear a Snoop Dogg t-shirt with weed on it to my church. It's... Do you have a t-shirt that doesn't have a cuss word in it? Because I don't want our church to be uncomfortable. What if they catch that on the video and it goes into live stream? What are people going to think about us? You, know, can you come to my church. Do you have any dresses that are longer? Like drag the floor. Like, oh man, I love your tats. Could you cover that one right there? It's scary. I'd love for you to come to my church. Can I explain my doctrine to you? And I'll need you to sign off saying you believe exactly the same thing. Jesus doesn't start with an orientation. And he doesn't start with an initiation. He starts with an invitation. Just come follow me. Broken. Crippled, sick, lame, marred, flawed. You're exactly what I'm looking for. Just come follow me. Aren't you glad that's what Jesus is looking for? Because I don't know about you, that's all I had to offer him. 
I don't know about you, but that's all I had to offer him. And Jesus starts just with an invitation. Now, here's what's crazy. This man is this imperfect. In fact, remember this, tax collectors and sinners, sinners and tax, tax collectors were so bad they weren't even allowed to be sinners. <laughs> like that was an upgrade for a tax collector. But, God, but here Jesus calls an imperfect person to be one of his 12 apostles. That's crazy. Kind of explains why I got this microphone today. <laughs> Matthew becomes one of nine New Testament writers. Nine authors of the New Testament. Matthew's one of, one of 40 that penned the Bible. He becomes an apostle and a follower of Jesus. They just start with an invitation to a messed up, broken, marred, sick person. And Jesus said, this is the kind of people. It's funny, I was sitting there, I was at this point writing the message, I'm like, you know, I need to give another example. Matthew's a good example because we're reading the book of Matthew. This tax collector couldn't even, wasn't even worthy to be called a sinner, yet wrote one of the four gospels and we're reading his work today. And I'm like, but I need another example because this is a good preaching, maybe an Old Testament. I thought, is there anybody in the Bible that was screwed up that God used anyway? I didn't say I was smart because I thought on this a little while. <laughs> I was like, Adam, mm, he had an addiction to fruit salad. I was like, mm, Noah. Noah was a righteous man, built the big ark. Oh, then got off of it, got drunk and naked. Mm. Wow, that's, that's pretty cool. Uh, Abraham, oh, yeah, yeah, that's, he was a liar, had a lying problem, and also committed adultery. Mm, had a baby mama. <laughs> then I thought about Jake. Oh, yeah, he's a con artist. Uh, mm, committed fraud, technically. Uh, I started thinking through that thought. But there was David. Oh, wait. Oh, yeah. Slept with another guy's wife, got her pregnant, then used, then the guy who was a loyal military person, soldier, had him killed in the name of David, like you know, ordered his death and execution, used the enemy to kill his own problem. Yeah, there was that. <laughs> and then I thought, well, what about, what about all these guys? I mean, what about all these guys? Even get into the New Testament. You know, we talked about Peter. He had bad, he's cussed a lot. And you talk about Paul. Paul killed Christians. Paul was the one that, that pinned, uh, a wretched man that I am, the things I want to do, I don't do, and the things I don't want to do, I, oh, what a wretched man. Then he says this, but thanks be to God. And I realized if we took the imperfect people out of the Bible, there wouldn't be one. If you're screwed up, you got a chance. And then I thought this, well, wait a second, if God only uses messy people, if he's only looking for sick people, then is there any church or there any chance that the church could be any less sick or imperfect? See, because sometimes I think people give up on church because they had the wrong expectation. Sometimes because they were shown the wrong thing. We got it all together. We got our game face on. We know what to say, how to sing, how to lift our hands. But the truth of the matter is, if God only uses messy people, 
If God only came for messy people, then we can only have messy churches. Like part of being in a relationship with anybody is adjusting your expectations because if you've ever been, been upset at someone, it's because you had the wrong expectation. Now I can help you in your marriage and all kinds of things. Like you're mad today because you expected him to put his underwear in the right place and he's a man. And to him, the floor was the right place. But isn't it true that our expectations, so if, 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 but here's part of the problem. If the church says we got it all together, then people have an expectation that we're going to have it all together. So what happens when they find out we don't actually have it all together? But we can't admit we don't have it all together. So now again, the church is in the way. And people who need to know Jesus just got hurt by the church because we couldn't admit we didn't have it all together. because we were protecting our religious culture. But if we could come to the place to realize if God only is after imperfect people, if he's only calling imperfect people, for us to get here, at one time we had to be imperfect. And if we could wrap our head around the fact that we're probably still imperfect because we're being saved, so we're, we're trying to get it together, but maybe we don't have it all together. Let me help you with something. I don't have it all together. If you need a church where the pastor has it all together, God bless you. I'll see you in heaven, but this isn't your place. Someone said, what do you think it's like being a senior pastor? What's it like? I said, you know, to be successful, if you can just disappoint people at a rate they can stand. Because <laughs> they're all going to be disappointed at some point because I am messed up. Here's news for you. I'm going to be disappointed in you at some time because you are messed up. Because the only thing we can have if we put imperfect people together is an imperfect church. Do you remember the church of Corinth? Does anybody remember Corinth, the church? If you're like, what is that? It was a church in the New Testament. They had a lot of issues. Fifteen you can count for sure. Let me just give you a list of some of the issues. Just minor things. Chaos in worship. People running around acting crazy during worship. Probably had some tambourines and some streamers or something. I don't know. <laughs> Uh, they had factions. I like this teacher. I like this teacher. I'm this guy's disciple. I'm that guy's disciple. We are right. You are wrong. We are right. You are wrong. Yeah. Some other things. Oh, yeah. Um, people in the church wondering if they could get a divorce and still be saved. Prostitution in, in the church. Incest. One of the leaders sleeping with his mother-in-law and everybody knew about it. Participation in pagan rituals, idolatry, poor leadership by church leaders. Kind of sounds like today's church to me, I think. And you would think if a church had that many blemishes, that many problems... You would think that, that Paul would say, we got to shut this thing down. We got to get out of this thing. And instead, Paul starts off talking to him. I want to always thank God for you and the gracious gift he has given you. I want to always thank God for you. Then he goes on to say, 
I want you to know that you're the temple of the Holy Spirit. Paul had a crazy strategy. He starts reminding them of everything that's right with them, not everything that's wrong with them. What a great idea for the church. What if people came in and we reminded them, it's not about these things. It's about what Christ has done for you. It's about what's right for you. It's about what's right about you. And it's not about what's wrong about you. That, that this is the message. Like we're not judging you. We're, we're not sitting in court today trying to figure out if we think you're saved enough or not saved enough, if we think you're righteous or not righteous, if we think you've got it all together by our standard or not. We're going to sit here just like Paul and say, man, we thank God for what he's doing in your life. And it's probably going to be messy because you're messy just like ours is messy because we're messy. And when we get all together, it's going to be really messy. But God only uses imperfect people. It's the only kind of person that God will use. It's the only kind of person that God can use. Here's the third thing. Grace isn't the way into the church. It's the way of the church. Grace isn't the way into the church. See, because we're, we're all about that grace. All about that grace. About that grace. No devil. Um, and we should be because it's why we're all here the grace of Jesus. None of us could achieve salvation. None of us could make our own path to God. We couldn't be good enough. Even if we could keep all the law, there was no way. And, and what grace says is now my position is I have the position of Jesus because Jesus came and, and died my death. Now I get his life. That's, that's the great exchange. He was the propitiation, the sacrifice, the atoning sacrifice that took the wrath and judgment that was owed us. And because of that, now we get his place. And so now my relationship with Jesus is not based on me and what I do. It's based on Jesus. Jesus and what he did. That he is the mediator, meaning that he is the one that determines my relationship. And it's just my faith in him that he died and rose again. And we're all about that's how we come into this. All about. But now what, 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 what we see here is that Jesus is expressing that, that grace isn't just the way into the church. It is the way of the church. But go and learn what this means, he says in verse 13. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I've not come to call the righteous but the sinners. Not come to call the righteous, but the sinners. I desire mercy. Here's what he's saying. I, I'm not about the rules. The rules aren't the point. It's about my mercy and goodness extended to you. Keep the rules all you want. That won't help you. That won't save you. That won't bring you into fellowship or relationship with me. What brings you into relationship with me is the mercy that I have poured out on you by my grace that I have forgiven you, that, that what was owed you, I'm going to take upon me. This is, he is quoting again from the Old Testament. He's saying, hey, I desire Mercy. This is what God says, not sacrifice. I want to pour out my goodness on you. I don't want to see how well you keep rules. In Ephesians 4, Paul is talking to the church about the church. And he's talking about how you do church and why you do church. And here's what he says, Ephesians 4, verse 2. Always be humble and gentle, he says. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Do you see that? making allowance for each other's faults. Why? Because we all got them. He said, be patient, make allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make, make every effort to keep yourselves united in spirit, 
binding yourselves together with peace. So he's saying, look, this is, this is how you do church. In other words, he's saying, if you're going to be a part of this church, you're going to have to make allowance for other messy people's messes. He's saying, if I'm going to be a part of this church, I'm going to have to make allowance. In other words, I can't just receive grace. I'm going to have to give some grace. The, the level at which you can give and receive grace will determine the depth of any relationship that you have. My God, that was good. I'm going to write that down. The level at which I can give and receive grace will determine the depths of the relationships that I have. It is impossible to relate to other people without extending grace, and it's possible to have other people relate to you without receiving grace. And when the church, when we set up these barriers and expect perfection out of each other, even though we're just cloaking our own imperfections, and then we run into someone's imperfection, now all of a sudden we don't want to be a part of a church because the church people hurt me, the leader hurt me, the pastor hurt me, the life group leader hurt me. And while that is true and valid, we're still exploring, is there value in the church? Well, let's talk about number one. How did that happen? Well, we had an expectation that was all based on a mirage. It was smoke and mirrors because if I enter into this knowing everyone's messed up, everyone eventually could uh, hurt me, um, I could have some bad experience. If I enter into it knowing that, I'm a little bit more prepared. And then I have this opportunity then to extend grace of forgiveness and not let bitterness take a root in my heart. We live in a culture that is looking to get offended by everyone and everything every time. They'll get offended about things they don't even know the whole story about. And, and while it is possible for people to sin against you, can I help you with something? I just need to tell you this. This is my latest thing. If you're offended, it's because you want to be. I'm just making sure nobody's throwing a shoe or something. <laughs> but... Uh, because God has given us by grace, he has given us tools with which to deal with, our, with people sinning against us that doesn't require them to change. It requires us to grow by offering forgiveness. And when I offer forgiveness, I get to grow and mature whether they decide to take responsibility or not. And so Paul is saying, hey, if we're going to live together. We're going to expect, you know, that there's going to be some rough spots. So you're going to have to make allowance for the messy people because that's all there is in church. And you're going to have to choose ahead of time that when you encounter a messy person, you're going to forgive them and love them and live at peace with them. You may not hang out as much with them, but you're going to take on that role of maturity and then he goes on in, in Ephesians 11 through 16, he starts talking about the church. And he talks about these are the gifts that, that Christ gave the church. He gave apostles, prophets, and pastors, the teachers, and evangelists. And their responsibility is to equip or build up God's people to, to do the work and to be the church, the body of Christ. And he said, this is going to keep on going. In other words, this is the plan of God till we all come into unity of faith and knowledge of the Son of God that will be mature. So here's the goal. He's looking for maturity, measuring to the full and complete standard of Christ. Then we won't be immature and tossed and blown around by everything that happens. And we won't be influenced by people who try to trick us and tell us the, the, the lies, though it was the truth. In verse 15, it says, instead, we're going to speak truth and love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who's the head of the church. Verse 16 says, he makes the whole body fit together perfectly as each part does its own special work. It helps the other parts grow so the whole body is healthy. Hey, let me break down what he just said. So, so here we are. Do I need the church? Should I fight through? Should I make allowance for everybody else's stuff? Should, should I understand that if it's full of imperfect people and I'm one of those imperfect people, that it's just going to be imperfect and I just may have to deal with that? 
that, but in its imperfection, it offers me an opportunity to grow into Christ and what he wants for me. By the way, we wear t-shirts, iron men, iron sharpens iron. Woo. Do you know how iron sharpens iron? By knocking pieces of metal off of each other. Friction is how iron sharpens iron. And we get in church, get a little rub, like, I'm giving up to Jesus. I'm just Vince. I know that post was about me. And what Paul is saying is the imperfection of the church offers you an opportunity for growth. That what you hate about it, you should love about it. Do you know most people don't like the church for the same reason they struggle with themselves? Their flaws. We look in the mirror and we see our flaws, don't we? Now, some of you are like, men are more this way. Like, we're like 30 pounds overweight, got hair, and then we like look in the mirror, suck it in, like, yep, still got it. <laughs> yes, that's, that's how men are. Uh, but, but women can have a little bitty flaw that no, el- no one else can see, and they feel like it's this big when they look in the mirror. And sometimes, truthfully, we don't like our own flaws. We don't want to be flawed, and sometimes the reason we don't like the church is we see its flaws, and we don't want it to be flawed. And Paul's saying it's actually the flaws that give you the opportunity for the maturity and the growth and the purpose. Here's, let me break it down. Here's what he said. The church affects your destiny, your maturity, your stability, and your durability. Here's what he said. The church affects your destiny built up in the church. In other words, the church is what gives you the right trajectory for your purpose. Then he says, the church affects your maturity. I just talked about that. When we get together, we have an opportunity to grow. The church affects your stability. It says you won't be tossed around. In other words, the more I'm grounded in truth in a culture where everyone claims truth and they all have their own truth, sometimes you need to know the real truth because you can call truth, you can call something truth all you want. That doesn't make it real truth. It makes it your opinion. And we live in a culture where everyone's opinion seems now to be their truth. I'm just living my truth. You can, you can do you, boo, but I don't think that's truth. That's why I need the church, because the church is based on, on the Word of God, which is truth, which is absolute truth. Like we talked about last week, where Jesus is the foundation and cornerstone of my life, and I have confidence when I build on His truth, stability, and then durability, we will grow. That's strength. So the church gives me strength and it gives me clarity and it gives me stability and it gives me maturity. It gives me durability. It gives me, I have a lot of illities today, but it gives me, that's what it gives me. So, so is it messy? Yes. How can we solve that? Remember we're all messy. Expect messy people to be messy and learn the maturity of forgiving and not harboring bitterness and unforgiveness. And then let the church grow us. Jesus came to give you a better life, but he started the church to make you better at life. Because through the church is the understanding of his truth and his teaching and how to live it out in community. It makes you better at life. He came to give you a better life, but the church makes you better at life. That's why we need the church. That's what he was after. It's not for everybody. It's just for the messed up. It's just for the messy people. That's what I want our church to be. Amen.
God, come on. Can you give Jesus a hand for his word? He's... Why don't you stand with me?